like our kind of like writing process is I usually come up with like an idea for a song and then I'll come up with like a melody and like some cheesy chords or whatever and I'll be like hey Wes what do you think about this and then Wes kind of like polishes it and like makes it better but I feel like that's how we do things a lot of times yeah. not always but most, most of the time that is how it is I'm Jim Fox, and welcome to the Lumen Innovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. This episode of the Lumen Innovation Podcast is brought to you in part by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. 20 different flavors of pecans to choose from. Whether you want in-shell, cracked, chocolate, or candied pecans, the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company has you covered. Don't forget about their pecan pies and fudge as well. If you live anywhere in Central Texas, stop by their shop at 2626 Highway 71 West in Cedar Creek. If you live anywhere else, keep in mind that they mail pecans all over the country. Give them a call at 1-800-518-3870 or go to birdall.com. That's B-E-R-D-O-L-L.com. All of the pecan products are grown, prepared, and cooked right there in Cedar Creek by the Birdall Pecan Candy and Gift Company. Welcome to the Lumen Innovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox. I have two guests today, Laurel Wright and Wesley Lunsford. Each of them are incredibly talented musicians and performers in their own right, but when they perform together, I know for a fact we're in for a show. They are known as The Young Fables. They're an up-and-coming modern traditional country duo from Nashville, Tennessee. Hello, Laurel and Wesley. Hi. Hello. So let's start at the beginning. How did the uh, name The Young Fables come about? It's funny because a lot of people ask that question and how we came up with it is we were sitting with a buddy of ours who eventually became our manager um, and we were trying to come up with a name because me and Laurel had been playing together for about a year and a half at that point and we were talking about things that set us apart from other bands or whatever and we've written a lot of songs with Laurel's grandparents so Patrick he was sitting there he's a a great idea, man. We've, we always say that we're a trio because he's really one of us. He's your manager, right? Exactly. Okay. Um, he was thinking about this. We were talking about that idea of how we, we write songs with our grandparents. And he was like, well, let's use that. We're, you're taking their old stories and you're making them new again. And he just came out with it. He's like, what about the young fables? And we were like, that's perfect. That's how we came up with it. Yeah, the term fable is kind of antiquated in itself, right? You don't go around every day using the word fable. You guys do, of course, because it's your name, but it's, it's a term that most people don't use. No, I mean, I but, never used it before we were yeah. the young fables. And that's why I but think it, I liked it. It fits, yeah, yeah, it fits what you're trying to do, and that, that, that's definitely really cool. So let's back up a few years or decades. You started playing and singing at a very young age, three or four years old, and picking up a guitar about 10 or so, right? Yeah, that's right. You did your research. I did my research. Okay. I tried to do my research. Uh, you didn't even look down at your paper for that. I'm very impressed. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I started singing in church when I was like three or four. My parents just threw me up on the stage. And I guess singing in front of people is 
something that comes like very natural to me. I've just, that's all I've ever known. And then um, when I was 10, uh, my dad bought me a guitar from a pawn shop. And uh, I started uh, singing and playing guitar at the same time, and I started writing songs at that age, too. So. And how did you catch the music, Bug West? I don't know. Like, my family loves music, but none of them are really, like, musicians. My brother can play guitar, and my mom can play piano in, in church and stuff, but they just love music. I don't know how I sort of got so into it. My mom bought me a guitar when I was 13, I think, when I was for Christmas one year, and I'm she, we didn't know any better, so she bought me a right-handed guitar. Okay. But I played it upside down, not knowing any better, for a year. Yeah. And my brother came into my room, and he was like, you know, that big string's supposed to be on the other side. And so he helped me restring it, and then I was really just, like, obsessed. So wasn't there an incident in one of your recording sessions where you kind of pulled out the wrong-handed guitar thing, and it impressed a few folks? That was, yeah. When we did our last record, we did it with a guy named Mitch Dane, who... Yeah. Was, it was the greatest recording experience I've ever had. Me too. And um, when we first met with him, we were just meeting him. We were meeting a lot of producers because we were trying to figure out who we wanted. And so we were just having a meeting. He was like, hey, you want to play a song? But we didn't bring any of our stuff. He was like, oh, I have a guitar. And I was like, well, I'm left-handed. And he was like, oh, okay. And I was like, well, this is an opportunity. I better do something. So yeah. he, I just took his guitar and like sort of messed with it for a minute and figured out the bare essentials that I could play on my part. And we Wes is being it. modest. He, he knew he could. Wes can do anything, literally. No. He flipped that thing upside down, and it was like, it was a left-handed guitar. It was no big deal, seriously. But by the time we finished that song in the meeting, we had already booked dates yeah. for recording. We were like, this is it. This that's, is perfect. that's pretty good. So it's those weird little tricks that you can do that the next guy can't that gets people's attention. So that's <laughs> definitely, definitely cool. All smoke and mirrors. That's what yeah. I have. So, hey, whatever it takes, right? Fake it till you make it. Exactly. Uh, you spent six months in China playing R&B and jazz uh, for the Chinese. How did they take American music? How, how did that work out? That was, I loved being over there. And it was funny because I went over there and I, it was, it was so well accepted and I had such a great time my idea was to keep going over there. And this was before me and Laurel had met. And so I went over there for three months and then they were like, you want to renew your contract? So I did for another three months. And at the end of that, they were like, you want to stay for a year? And I was like, that's awesome, but I'm going to go back to the United States for a little bit and then I'll come back. So that was my idea to sort of go back and forth. So I, I had that in mind, I guess, that you were just kind of randomly wandering on your own, but you had a contract there. You were yeah. doing a professional gig of some sort. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's kind of cool. It that's was very, I mean, I loved it. I, I hope to go back and visit at With least. Me. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we can get over there. <laughs> when I was reading about that, I tried to imagine myself if, if I could maybe walk down the street to a bar and there was Chinese music playing. How would me as an American accept the foreign music? And I might like it from a creative sense, but it'd probably be hard for me to really get into it and really dig it. Did you get that sense from them that they were like, is it more of a novelty than a, a true passion? I don't think so. They just, they love Western culture, really, okay. like, and music and and it was just such a great experience that, that when, especially because we would try and do like, so we played a lot of, you know, standards and R&B songs and everything. And uh, so we would back up the singers who would come in the club and they would usually at least try and do like one Chinese song. And if you did that, they were like, you know, amazed. It was awesome. Okay. So you've played in uh, China, but uh, how about uh, tell the, the listeners where we are right now? 
God, where are we? <laughs> where are we? I mean, no, no, what's around us right now? We're in someone's house, right? Because uh, last night you guys were a performer here at the house yeah. doing, a, doing a house show. Talk about the house show movement. It's been around for a while, but it seems like it's really picked up steam in the last, I don't know, five or ten years maybe, right? I agree. Um, we started doing house concerts like a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, a few years and, ago. And we're in Texas right now. So, And Texas is the first place I ever heard of it. Yeah, yeah, me yeah. too. I, I had first heard of it from a, a band I know in Austin. In fact, they do the theme music for the show, so shout out to those guys. But that's, that's the first awesome. time I'd heard of it. But, um, but yeah, it's been around for a little while. And how does that impact what you guys are trying to do, not only from a performer's perspective, but also from a business side? Is it, it makes sense both ways, right? For people that haven't heard of house concerts, they're always like, that's so weird. You go to people's houses and you, and you play for you know, the, the hosts and then the people that they invite or whatever. And it is kind of weird, but... Man, once you're in it and once you do it, it's it's kind of like the best way to kind of travel um, the world, <laughs> the United States, and be able to build like an actual fan base because, yeah. you know, we love playing all all types of venues. Like we play bars and really anything, but I feel like house concerts, um, I don't know, you have people that actually are coming for the music and to listen. Yeah. As people opposed to wanna, coming to have yeah. a beer and there's music in the background. Exactly. Yeah. People want to buy your merch and people want to sign up for your mailing list. And it's just a great way to build your fan base. That way when you're back in the area and you do play like an actual venue, then you have those people coming and listening to you. And it just makes more sense for us from a business perspective. And also like as artists, because it can be depressing going into venues and playing for playing your songs that you've worked so hard on for people that just don't really care, which is fine. We do that a lot. But when you come to a house concert and people actually care about what you're singing about, man, that's just, it makes it all worth it for me. And it's, it's also, it's, it's, uh, you don't have to use your name to sell tickets because you have the power of the, the host and their friends who most of the people who come to see you at a house show have never heard of you, never seen you, but the power of of someone that they know saying you should come hear these people and you know it'll just be in a house we'll have a good time potluck you know yeah it it's so much better than seeing it on bands in town and being like oh you got to pay a ticket price and go to this place and i don't know these people i'm not going to do that yeah i feel like so, a house concert is like an an experience yeah you know even yeah. if you don't like the music it's still a fun time i feel like yeah and you guys are, are taking it even the next level here jill and nancy the host here of uh, you you stayed at their place last night so it, it's the, you've probably got a fan for life now right so that anytime <laughs> that you're in the same zip code you're probably going to see each other and hopefully that's well, kind of that's kind of yeah. a neat thing it's we a really... great way to make friends and relationships that you would never have yeah because it's... Whenever I mean, we great. were, uh, we first, well, we walked in the house, they were like, you know, we were going to put you guys up in a hotel, but we heard you didn't like hotels. And it's not that we don't like hotels, but honestly, me and Wes prefer to stay like at the house we're playing at. And it's like, we're so grateful for, for them letting us come in and perform and, and do all these things. We want to spend time with them if they want us to be here. But, you know, I mean, we love like being in their house and getting to know them, you know. But you guys, over the years, have played in much bigger crowds. Let's back up a few years to your TV shows. Uh, so you were on Real Country just a, just under a year ago, right? Last November? Yes. Real Country on the USA Network with a bunch of big names. Talk about that experience and who was the host of the show and how that all came about. Shania Twain, Travis Tritt, and Jake Owen. They started the show, and it um, aired on the USA Network. It was super cool. They handpicked, I think, 21 artists all over the nation. They each got seven picks. Mm -hmm. And Shania picked us. So it was really cool. There was no audition process or anything like that. So we were honored to, to even be on the show. But. Yeah, it was funny because we literally got a call out of the blue. And they were like, you want to be on this show, Real Country? They didn't really explain a lot of it. And we said no. 
because, you know, the, we, TV shows or whatever, you know, it, it happens. And we had done some stuff like competitions and things like that. And we were like, well, we're sort of over that. But they kept calling and being like, I don't think you understand. Shania Twain wants you to be on this show. There's, this is not like any other competition or anything like that. It's more of a showcase. And they weren't trying to make us do anything. They just sort of let us do our thing. And it was amazing. It was yeah, the greatest was... thing I think we've done. Laura, your kind of claim to fame, I guess you'd say that, is, is you were on American Idol three times. Which for anyone else would be thinking, oh man, that's got to be the the pinnacle of of what I'm trying to do here. But your peak could have been maybe a year or two before that when you won some pretty big change at a competition. Talk about that experience. Oh yeah. Um, so the Texaco Country Showdown was like, um, I was in Maryville. I don't know. Was I like? I think I might have even been 15 at the time that I entered it. And the local radio station was like, Laurel, you gotta enter this competition. And um, if you like, I didn't know anything about it. I just agreed to it because they kept hounding me. And so, uh, and the competition was all about, um, songwriting, singing, um, your performance, just, it's just like an all around artist kind of competition. So it was everything. And I was 16 years old and I made, there was so many like different levels of the competition and I made top five and I was at the Ryman Auditorium with people that were at least five years older than me. I was the youngest one. So you, you can stop right there. The Ryman itself is, is, exactly. is a holy cow moment, right? Yeah. yeah. And at it's that a... point, I was like, eh, I, don't, I was so awkward because I was 16. And, you know, I've been, I've been playing for a few years, but I don't know. I wasn't like a, I wasn't as um, experienced as all the other people on the show. So I didn't really care if I won or not. Um, I just was grateful to be at the Ryman. I mean, I got to play two of my original songs. Um, at the Ryman Auditorium at age 16. Like, I didn't care at that point. But then when I ended up winning the whole thing, I think I'm still the youngest to ever win it. I won like $100,000. And I don't know, I was like 16 years old. I'm at the Ryman. I'm from Maryville. I still live in Maryville at this point. I don't know. It was a pretty crazy experience. Those songs, uh, She's Doing Fine, was one of those, right? And do you still have that in your playlist? Do you, do you still pull that out every I now and then? I don't. But how did you? They didn't air that one, I thought. So how did you find out I about that? I do my that? homework. Oh my gosh, you do. Big and deep. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. yeah. And people who don't know, about the competition. I mean, Laurel, like she said, is the youngest to ever win the whole thing. Yeah. And, I mean, people who have been in the competition have been people like Miranda Lambert, Garth Brooks. Yeah. You know, so it's I'm still a, so proud of that. It's a national yeah. huge thing, you know. And, and can't, I'll, I'll show research again. Can't you see? Do you, is that one in your playlist anymore? It's not. Okay. Um, we have a few people like from Maribel when we go home, they'll like request it. But it's just, I don't know. It's one of those that I kind of wrote at a young age by myself. And it's not really like a young fable song or anything. So it's not that I don't like it. I just. But you're, you're when you wrote those, you were in a different place, not physically, but mature-wise and all that, 15 or 16-year-old, different than what you are now, is it maybe given a message that doesn't apply to you now? Even in, even with a different labeling of your band name, is it is it mostly kind of a different place for you? or? Um, I don't know. I feel like me and Wes uh, write so much music. Like, yeah. we're not one of these duos that kind of take time to write, and then we pause, and then take time to record, and then pause, and take time to perform. Like, we're kind of doing all of that all the time. So... I don't know. I mean, Wes and I have songs that we've written that we used to play a lot that we don't really play a lot now. It's just kind of what you're feeling and, yeah, yeah what you're going you through on. in life. Yeah. And, yeah, and you recently, in the last year or so, you've, uh, maybe a year and a half, you've released your second album, right, called Old Songs. Uh -huh. Talk about that process. So you did something really cool that this show really digs. You were on Kickstarter. 
Yeah, uh, talk talk scary. about that process. <laughs> it was so it, scary. It was scary because we tried to raise. We set our goal at twenty thousand dollars, and we, me and Laurel, were like, "There's no way." We were kind of against this it. This is gonna happen. And and did if you anybody ha- does, did you have any experience with Kickstarter at all before no. that? No, I mean, okay. I've I've like been on the back inside yeah. of the Kickstarter, but never a, a maker side. So yeah. whose whose idea was it to say let's let's do this let's put it on Kickstarter? Patrick, Patrick, our manager. Oh, that he, guy. Yeah. That guy, <laughs> and he believes in us so much. And honestly, like I mean, we trust him with everything that we have. But when he was like, "Let's do a Kickstarter, and let's set our goal at twenty thousand dollars," I was like, "No way!" Because that's if you not going to happen, if, you don't if you're a dollar short, you yeah. miss it all. Right? Exactly. All yeah, that's it. the thing yeah. with Kickstarter. And you have thirty if you days. You got nothing. Thirty days. Yeah. But I think in eight days or seven days or something like that, we ended up raising twenty thousand dollars, and then we went over. It was crazy. Yeah, but so I've been, uh, I've ran a few Kickstarters with uh, Pazometry as well, so I, I know that path, and it's it is so much fun. It's it's a complete adrenaline rush the whole, entire time. Yeah, and it's it's really. I'm actually about to launch another one here in the next couple of weeks, so it's that's definitely a fun thing. I'm uh, I was happy to see that you guys were doing that, and and that's a. Uh, there's going to be more and more musicians doing that, uh, but it's definitely a cool way to really l- launch uh, an album and, and get some press early and get get, get it out. Uh, how many albums did you send out, or how many? How have you distributed them? How how many ears did you reach with that campaign? Oh, I don't even know the number of backers we had at that. A couple hundred, maybe. <sighs> maybe more. Maybe more than that. Uh, yeah, I can't even remember. Oh, let's see. Well, oh. 253. I was right. Yeah, there we go. Boom. You were right. <laughs> Almost right on. Yeah, that's that's definitely a fun fun way to launch new products and new new music, new material. It's, it is totally good. Talk about some of the songs you did on that. Were um, how to what, what were some of the inspiration for the, some of the songs on that album? How did those come about? Oh man, um, Wes and I don't really write about stuff that we haven't lived through or something that we haven't seen that. That means a lot. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I like, feel like everything's very personal. And we also find ourselves writing songs about things that maybe not a lot of people write songs about, if that makes sense. Yeah, like my sister, um, I don't talk about this a lot, but my sister that passed away, she was 19 years old and she was beautiful and she was very young, but she just got caught up in the wrong crowd at a young age. And um, she... Um, at the end of her life, she ended up uh, doing needles, and her drug of choice was morphine. And so um, I guess whenever you have someone that you love that has, you know, a drug addiction problem, it's really hard for not just that person but the people around them because you don't really know how to, like, deal with something like that, or at least I didn't. So we have a song on our record called Your Kind of Company, and I don't really play it a lot, but um, that's sort of – my feelings towards my sister's drug addiction and how, you know, you know, I sort of felt about it. It's so. kind of a, um, I don't know, a painful song to listen to. It's well done, but it's kind of, uh, it's, you can tell you're digging deep on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very honest, and my sister heard it, and she was totally fine with me playing it, and she was... She wanted you to play she it. She wanted me to play it. I remember my sister was in rehab, and uh, she, was, she was doing really good for a little bit, and I went there, and she was like, play that song you wrote for me, and she was really proud of it, you know, because deep inside, it... She didn't want to be that way. It really was a sickness at that point, but yeah. You've got a lot of songs, uh, Until I Die, Some Keeping Me Alive, Daddy's Girl, that have really kind of catchy hooks or catchy choruses. What is, 
What's the magic there to make a chorus catchy, as opposed to maybe the songs we've heard that maybe don't have that much of a catchy chorus? What is the process, or I hate to say recipe, but something like that that makes those catchy? I don't know. To, to me, and this might be different for Laurel, uh, I try not to think of like a hook. Me too. Like, yeah. You know, I think so many people and songwriters nowadays, and I'm not saying that we're good at it at all, but <laughs> that that we are they get so caught up in like having some kind of catchy hook or like a little funny saying or something. I, I feel like the the melody and the message sh- shouldn't be tied down to some like, maybe I, I hate to say trite, but you know, just some kind of catchy But a hook thing. can be more than just the lyrical story. It could also be the cadence or the rhythm of, of you know, just something that sticks in your the, the earworm kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, what's what's the magic to making that? And, and perhaps there is no recipe for it. It just happens or it doesn't. But I feel like it happens or it doesn't. And yeah. coming back to Patrick again, it's like a lot of times you get, you know, I get so caught up in like what I want to say in a song that I forget about making it like, you know. Interesting. Interesting. And so then we bring it to Patrick and he's like, I remember when we were writing Keeping Me Alive. We had, I don't remember what we had before, but... There's a there's a uh, a line in the chorus that says, um, "You've got some bruises, you've got some dents. Just when I think you're broken, you pick up the beat again." And that's not what we had before. Yeah, but I'm like, else. "Oh my god, that like changed the whole song for me. Like you pick up the beat again." Yeah. And then so "Keep oh. Me Alive" is a unique song. At least I I view it as such because certainly the history books are filled with uh, songs about uh, symbolic heart and love and all of that. But that song is literally about the heart. Yeah. It's about the, the, the organ, and, and it ties it in. It's really kind of neat how you did that. I don't think I've heard a song that kind of goes that direction with it. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's kind of neat. Where, where did that come from? What was that? I came in with like a cliche idea for a song that I just wanted to write a love song, and I was writing with Wes and Brianne that day, and, you know, this, we just nothing was really happening with like my idea, and then Wes sort of came in, let's like write a song to your heart, and I was like, oh my yeah. gosh, yes, this is why I love you. No. <laughs> and, and what I love about that song, and we don't really talk about this a lot, is that it is it is a sort of a love song to your heart, but it's also, sort of, there are p- certain parts in it where it's like, you know, even when you're, like, it it keeps you going, even if you don't want to keep going. Yeah, and that's know? where the kind of the double meaning and you pick up the beat again kind of thing comes from. It's, it's hitting both sides of, of that analogy or yeah. whatever I'm running out yeah. of words there but it's 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 really kind of well done I think most listeners maybe not even consciously when they hear a song they automatically try to put the singer's voice or the singer's person in the story mm-hmm. um, but you guys co-write a lot of your songs or maybe all of your songs so oh, how many of the songs yeah. that we hear your voice are actually songs about you Wes uh, I don't know I mean like a lot of it is about us but like um, they don't make they, them like you make them. one. Yeah, they yeah. don't make There's them one. one. And a lot of times, like I feel like our kind of like writing process is, I usually come up with like an idea for a song, and then I'll come up with like a melody and like some cheesy chords or whatever, and I'll be like, "Hey, Wes, what do you think about this?" And then Wes kind of like polishes it and like makes it better. But I feel like that's how we do things a lot of times, but yeah. not always. But most most of the time that is how it is and even they don't make them i remember laurel we were at my stepmom's house um for thanksgiving and my dad had passed away at that point probably 2 years before that and that was probably 3 years before um 
and we were me and my brother were down in the basement of the house and that's where he like built motorcycles and had a sort of his workshop and stuff and nothing had been touched and laurel's over there like writing down things she sees so even that is sort of like i would i mean i've written songs about my dad that no one will ever hear probably you know but uh, it was her that sort of set the fire to write that song even. And that one's totally about me. So the uh, song we're about to hear is Sawmill Wages and Muddy Roads. I'll read to you exactly the question I had in mind about that song. And okay. then we'll talk about how it got shot down. My question got shot down, <laughs> which was actually really kind of an interesting, cool thing. The question that I had, and it's kind of in shorthand notes, is what's that story about? It seems like perhaps you're too young to have lived that story. So where do you pull that from? But it turns out, that's correct, right? So we'll play a clip of that song now. He came home from working 12 hours at the sawmill. Found a note. Hey. 
sitting with my papa one day and um yes I am too young to know anything about sawmill wages and, and money rates <laughs> but um he was talking about um it's kind of inspired by his dad so my papa's dad which was my great grandfather I never knew him but um he was like he worked in the sawmill and of course like not everything in this song is completely true but that's sort of where it came from so I mean how we write songs with my mama and papa especially my papa he just blurts out like all this stuff and I'm just like trying to write down as fast as I can everything that he's saying and then I sort of mold it into a song with Wes and that's sort of how we came up with that one and though it's not about me and I really don't know anything about that I connect with that song so much like in so many different ways just because it was my papa that told me the story tells so many stories and I'm from East Tennessee and it just reminds me of home and just the the chords that we put with it it's just so simple and it reminds me of like real classic country music. and uh, I can tell in that description you had your eyes closed for much or you were almost imagining the locations of that song while you're yeah. given that last few sentences. Like That's in really my mind, yeah. I, I see certain things when I sing that song, you know? Uh, so most, most of your songs, I'm going to guess, are like that where they're, even if they're not directly about you, they're pulled from people or things or events near you. How many times, if at all, do you just say, all right, I'm going to just put my mind into a place where I've never been before and write a song about something I, I can't live? Like maybe you want to... Uh, give yourself an assignment maybe to write a rodeo song even though you're never never been a rodeo does that is that part of the creative process that you just try to put your mind in another place and, and that's pull a from that good idea and i don't think i really do that a lot yeah we we barely ever do that i feel like the only times we've ever done that is if we're writing songs for other people okay um and and that hasn't happened very often not often but it has you know i feel like it's more difficult for me maybe because i'm not a professional songwriter <laughs> <laughs> but i it's yeah i feel like it's so much easier to write about your own feelings yeah. are the people that you're sitting with you know like like we write a lot with our friend brianne young and for most of the the beginning of our process we're just talking you know and it might the song might be about her day or whatever she's going through, but we can get into that, you know, because okay. there's somebody sitting there with us. Okay. So, so I guess uh, maybe a, a, an add-on to that same question is, do you ever, uh, I don't know what the word is, force creativity, where it's like, dang it, today, Tuesday, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to write a song about the forest or whatever, or do you just wait for the inspiration to hit you? I don't. No. And I, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm, I feel like I'm against that. Uh, just just for me, just because I want songwriting to be fun and something that I want to do. I don't want to consider it work. 
And a lot of times when I'm not feeling creative, which it happens a lot, you know, um, I don't want to force myself to, I want to wait until like, I'm excited about it again, because I don't ever want to lose the excitement of songwriting. And I mean, I love it so much and I don't know. But we, we never force ourselves to write songs about certain topics, but we do force ourselves to write sometimes we do, yeah. because like in Nashville, before we, I moved to Nashville, I feel like I never heard of co-writing before. Um, so we'll have be like, you know, next Thursday at five o'clock, we're supposed to write with whoever it is we're writing with. And sometimes, you know, if nothing's coming up, we, we just aren't feeling it, cancel or whatever. But it, I think it is good to sort of have those points in the week where you're, yeah, you're, right. you're like, you're going to sit down and try at least, it even keeps, if nothing comes out. I guess I just meant like by myself. If I'm by oh, yeah, myself I, I and I'm not feeling it, I will not force myself. Right. But if, if we do, if we have a song right, then. So I'll usually even like, and I know Laurel does this too, is throughout the week or whatever, you, you have that idea, you write that little idea down and you're like, okay. I have something for the whenever we write, you know. Yeah. So I discovered an app. I pulled my phone out. I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm actually (laughs) trying to pull up an app here. There's an app I discovered about a month ago called Metaphor Dice, and I forget there's a writer or a singer or a poet who who is behind this app. But Metaphor Dice is kind of a weird uh, and cool app along the same lines, where it's forcing you to... to just write practice for the purpose of writing. So it's a very simple app, and it's dice with three words on it, and you spin the dice and just randomly pick what those words are. You just pick one? Yeah, just what are, what are the three words? Are just uh, for? Lethargy, awaiting, and exodus. So that's, that's your cue. You're supposed to go and like daily do this and write Right, based on those three cues to kind of keep you, keep you, and, and you roll the dice and it's a brand new thing. Like I just rolled again and it's a gluttony elusive umbrella and wow. build something out of that. And so it's called Metaphor Dice. I don't know who's behind it. I'm not trying to plug them, but it was a, a clever kind of an app that just forces you to get into that mode of just take cues and, and go and get That's into the practice awesome. of writing. So, so it was kind of a, a neat thing. I thought of you guys when I was researching for this, that, that, that hey, that might be somewhere in your process where it's just forcing you to. To kind of go out and, and, and explore. Like if you get like writer's block or something, which happens to everybody, oh, that yeah. would be a really good app to use. And I, I mean, for me personally, because I'm a guitar player at heart, you know, uh, so songwriting I feel like is harder for me to get into, just because like I, I don't I haven't done it my whole life. I play guitar, you know, that's why I love. And so it, I do need that jump start a lot of times. Like, that's why Laurel usually has the initial idea. And once we get going... Yeah, but you're the poet, though. Uh, not always. <laughs> but once we get going, I can sort of sort of do it. But Who's the one, if you could sit down with anyone, uh, a current songwriter or, or one from the past, and do a song with them, who's, who's the one that each of you would pick? So just like, I want to collaborate with this guy from current or history. Uh, I feel like right now I would really love to write with Jason Isbell. Um, and I would really love to write with, we were watching the Ken Burns documentary on country music. Oh, yeah. And um, I just, there's so many songs that I didn't know Willie Nelson wrote. I know this is so oh, cliche, man, he's got so but many. Yeah. I would yeah. love to write with him. And I love Patsy Klein so much. And I just feel like he wrote a lot of her songs. And yeah. I, I don't know. I just. And you guys have done a cover for one of those, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 So maybe maybe those two. He would be a good one. I feel like yeah. How about what about you, Wes? What, who who would you pick? Maybe John Prine. Oh, okay. yeah, that's a good one. 
Bob Dylan and something like that. Oh, oh, oh wait, I got one. Tom Waits. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Why? I just like to me Tom Waits the way he writes songs. I know most of his are just him and his wife write the songs, or just him. But he just has a way of telling a story. Yeah, there's so much storytelling in that. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, speaking of amazing, last night you guys, uh, you played your set of, I don't know, 20 or so songs. I don't know how many it was. But right in the middle of that was a song, actually it was closer to the end of that, it was a song that is not one of your songs. Purple Rain is kind of amazing being played by these guys. Prince is alive and well, and I think he lives in Wes's fingers. Uh, <laughs> talk about that cover. That was an amazing. I, I've never seen a group of 20 people in a house give you a standing ovation like that. It was amazing. <laughs> talk about that cover. I'll see there. That's, that's one of those songs, and it's like when you come to, when you, you see our show or hear our music or whatever, it's not one that would come up, I don't think, in a lot of people's minds. Um, but I've always loved that song. And somebody just requested it one day, and and we played it. And I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible because it's just me and Laurel. There's no drums. There's no bass. There's no keys, you know. But it just it felt right, and we just loved it. And it's sort of stuck in the set. But Prince, I mean, I love his music. It's He's one of my, and guitar players, one of the all-time greatest rock Guitar player. Yeah, and you showed us some of that last night. I don't know how long that uh, that <laughs> solo was there, but it was maybe long. seven or seven or eight minutes. Excessive. And, <laughs> and there, the, 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 what's what's amazing about that? What really kind of showcased your skills there is that there's no, like you said, there's no backing drums, there's no bass, there's no, none of this other stuff to maybe drown out a missed note. Yeah. Every single note for seven or eight minutes, you're hitting, you're hitting well, and we're we're hearing every, and it, it just comes across amazing. And Thank you. That's uh, it was. I was watching and listening to music, but I was actually more watching the rest of the room, <laughs> and just jaws were dropping. Let's break out of the program here for a few seconds to give a shout out to our sponsor, Puzzometry, the hardest puzzle you'll never solve. If you love working on challenging, unique, and beautiful mechanical puzzles, then you've just got to try Puzzometry. P-U-Z-Z-O-M-E-T-R-Y, Puzzometry.com. They have three different puzzles to choose from, and all are for sale at Puzzometry.com. Check it out. You'll be glad that you did. Puzzometry can also be found on Twitter and Facebook. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Luminovation podcast, where we shine a light on innovation. Before we get back to the program, I want to let you know that you can find all of the episodes of the Luminovation podcast on our webpage, luminovation.com. That's L-U-M innovation.com, luminovation.com. We are also on iTunes as well as soundcloud.com. kind of made a little sub-career out of doing covers and putting them on YouTube, right? Yeah. Talk yeah. about that process of, of you've covered Crazy, you've got Purple Rain, you talk about those that you've you've covered that have really got some good traction. I, we just love, like, we love writing songs and we love performing those songs, but it's, it's fun to have a break. And I feel like it's good for other people listening, too, because, you know, People want to hear songs they know a lot of yeah. times. Yeah, and not just that, but I think it's important to like show um, the listeners like what your influences yeah. are because it kind of makes your music 
make more sense to them when they figure out what you like. You know, they're not yeah. like, what genre are you like? They don't ask anymore because they're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. You know? yeah. And a lot of our covers, I mean, we do a lot of like old school country covers. We do a lot of like R&B and stuff like that, you know, so it's all over the place. And I th- feel like people sort of, under, yeah, like you said, they understand where we're coming from, you know, because we, we just released uh, Ain't No Sunshine. Yeah. You know? Uh, and you played that last night too, right? Yeah, yeah. That was, that was really good uh, guitar and vocals on, on that one. That was really kind of neat to hear that. You you did also mention last night a, a new song that you're doing, "Love Before You," and a, a cool one. You were kind of unsettled on the title. You weren't <laughs> quite sure what to call it. Um, but you you said a phrase, Wes, that kind of got my attention. Is that you're spending the last few weeks and maybe even the next few weeks quote, fixing the quirks in the song. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of intrigued by that. What is that process like? You've got a song that, that maybe sounds good and, and plays well, but what are the quirks you're trying to fix and how do you go about doing that? What does that mean? I th- what do you think? I just think that when we're sitting at home by ourselves and we're trying to work out the kinks or whatever, um, you know, we did that. But then I also think it's important to play it live and sort of work out uh, the extra kinks there because you sort of see um, how it um, fits into your live show. I feel like that's completely different than just sitting at home and playing the song by itself. You know, I feel like, you know, we we played it one way a couple uh, a days ago, and then I was like, eh, maybe we should end it that way. It didn't feel right in the set. And then, I don't know, I just... Yeah, we switched the ending up a few times just because of that. And, it, and I feel like nothing is real until you play it live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel the same way. And that goes with anything, like... You, like with guitar, you can practice something until you bleed, but until you play it in front of people, it's not going to be there. So, um, I don't know, maybe it's not even a conscious thing, but what reaction are you looking for in the crowd when you're trying to decide those things? A standing ovation. <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. Well, in that case, you need to immediately play Purple Rain and everything you do. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> no, I don't know. Um, I, just, I, don't I think know. for me, the ending... For, for this song, because I had all these, like, fancy ideas for the ending and then ending on a fancy chord and all this stuff. And I'm like, that that's how we did it at first. And I was like, Wes, we don't need to end it fancy. Like, it just needs to, like, end simple and, like, yeah I don't know. Are you yeah. talking lyrics or music or both? Music. I music, like, yeah, yeah. yeah music. Oh, with that song especially, it was, it was music. But, yeah, I think you can feel when people get bored, you know, and that's what I'm feeling for if if somebody gets bored in the, in the middle of a song or something yeah. like that or if it's too long or whatever you know okay yeah that because you you said fixing the quirks when i was just the yeah. the engineer nerd brain in me was like well what what actually is i being guess fixed the there? length yeah. the yeah. i think the words were good if it goes over you I know think, if people can understand because a lot of times when you write a song you know what it means but Nobody else knows what it means. So yeah. you have to see if people like come up to you after the show and they're like, oh, I really like that song. Yeah. So you hit on something there too. Is you know what it means, but maybe the audience doesn't. And depends on the song. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad. Because right. a, a, a song maybe that is uh, going to reach a wide audience is one that's kind of left open to mean something different to each I listener. I love those kind of songs. Yeah. So, but how do you balance that, right? So you want, you want to deliver your message, but it's kind of okay if someone interprets it differently that means something to them too, right? So how do you, how do you work on that? How do you figure that out? I don't I feel like every song's a little different. Yeah, uh, we don't like plan for Because like, like we were talking about Sawmill Wages earlier. And to me, that's like straightforward story song. If that story gets across, you're good. But then like Keeping Me Alive is a song about your heart but we never say the word heart yeah. in the song, you know. So, and a lot of times, if if we're not explaining it, somebody might take it as a love song or whatever. And I feel like that's fine. I yeah, remember um, 
there was this girl in Nashville and um, she's one of our friends and she texted me and she said, I love keeping me alive so much. And I loved that song. But she was like, when I found out it was about an actual heart, she was like, I loved it even more. So it's pretty cool that like she kind of figured it out on her own. Yeah. The, the clever wordplay in there is really, because it, it does, it, it plays both sides of the analogy. It, it fits the love song and it fits the physical beating of the heart. It's, it's, it's really kind of well done. Uh, definitely good. Let's go to the uh, business side of things. Um, uh, Patrick Larney, talk about his role in your in your enterprise here. We wouldn't be the Young Fables without Patrick. Yeah. Like we, like Wes already said this, but we consider ourselves a trio, not a duo. And usually, he travels with us, and you know, he'd probably be sitting in here with us if yeah, he, he was here. Yeah, he probably would be here talking <laughs> with us. So, what what are the kind of things that he does that helps you guys focus on the music and not do the other stuff? Well, he. We don't, we're not, we're independent artists, so he's just our manager, but he does so much more than that, so um, he's our manager, and he does all, like, the manager things, but he also helps book us, like, he puts all of our tours together, so, I mean, I can book us regionally when I don't have to connect kind of the dots, but when it comes to, like, making an actual tour and, like, planning for that, it's hard to schedule it where it makes sense for us, you know, where we're not, like, driving, you know, 12 hours in one day or something. And he does all of that himself pretty much. And, I mean, I help out a little bit, but he does all that. He does our graphic design. He has designed, um, like, all of our logos and had the idea for all of our pictures and album covers. He's taken a lot of our pictures and done most of our videos himself. Yeah, any YouTube videos that look good. He um, was like, uh, he worked for Apple for 10 years. Oh, okay. And so he was in the branding side. So he really has like a, he's an idea man. I mean, he, I mean, he, he has can all pretty the much ideas. do anything and like not just mediocre. Like, yeah, a lot of people will say they can do anything. But so he's got a unique spelling on his name, Patrick, right? Instead of an I S a Y. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got, I told you guys last night, but uh, a few days ago, I was just looking through the statistics on SoundCloud for the podcast. And I, with the people that are logged in when they listen, which you don't have to log in to listen to, this, to SoundCloud, but the people that are logged in, it shows up on my statistics on the, the account owner's name. And I was like, well, that's kind of a weird spelling. And, but I just kind of dismissed it. But it stuck in my mind as a weird P-A-T-R-Y-C-K. Mm-hmm. And then a few hours later, as I was researching for this, I got digging across, oh, look, their manager's name is Patrick. Was, oh, wait, it's the same guy. <laughs> and so it was kind of weird. It was like, oh, he's, so he, he must have listened to a sample of the show to see if he wanted to let you guys... Beyond, yeah, so I'm, kinda, I'm happy to know that you made the cut, or I made the cut, rather. No, he, oh, yeah. I'm happy to know I made the cut. Everyone, so like one of the ways that we're able to like focus more on music and just do our thing is like we're playing house concerts, we're going to people's houses that we don't know and that we've sometimes we've never, never met before. And Patrick really makes sure that, like, you know, like we're in a safe place and we're actually going to get paid and things like that, where we can just go show up, play our music, and then just move on to the next venue but um i don't know for me that patrick has our best interest so i feel very safe yeah and it it allows you to focus your energy on what you guys are good at yeah totally a good thing so back in the day of course radio was king and uh, radio is still alive a bit but uh, that's not kind of the main focus of where people consume music now uh how do you keep uh keep on the ball with that stuff where it's all now about stream and it's about downloading and what do you guys have to do to help that process along or do you does Patrick take care of all that stuff for you we all talk about it it but it it's hard to know I mean it, music business today is such the wild west I mean all rules are gone yeah you know what what made money back in the day does not make money now yeah you know, so we're always and that's what's great about Patrick and we're always trying to find new avenues that haven't been thought of or maybe do something a little different that can 
you know, switch things up. Yeah, so you said that things that back in the day didn't make money that, or did make money that don't now. There's one exception, and of course, you reminded me of it last night, is you're still selling vinyl, which was making a comeback. How, yeah. What is up with that? Why is vinyl coming back? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think too. it's because of people like Chris Stapleton and like, I don't know. Well, it's such a, like in a, in a day and age, I mean, I'm a very physical person, you know, I want to. I want to look at it. I want to like feel the art and the vinyl for music was the pinnacle of that. You know, CDs might be better quality, you know, not it's digital, but not analog, but still, I'm, you know, but records like just for seeing the art and looking at the pictures and reading the lyrics and just feeling it. It's a ritual. Yeah. I feel like people like that. And also you can't get an autograph on a download. Yeah. How does that work? Right. So that kind of kills part of the fun of interacting with artists is the autographs and that whole thing. And and you really can't do that with downloads. Talk about your instruments. You guys, of course, professional musicians, you've got, uh, you've got a Gibson and you've got a brand that I hadn't heard of and it's Gretsch, right? So talk about how those arrangements came about. How did that work out and I know all the musicians out there are going to hate me for not hearing of Gresh yet but uh, <laughs> no. but how did that arrangement work out how did you get their sponsors of yours and providing uh, instruments I'm I'm not sponsored by Gibson I just um I I love my guitar and I'm not really into like brands so I'm sure um people that play guitar are probably <laughs> going to hate me for saying that I just feel like when I pick up a guitar I can sort of feel if I if it's for me or not so when okay. I was like searching for a guitar a couple of years ago I wasn't looking for a Gibson. I mean, I had a few brands that, like, I wanted, and I thought that might be a good fit for me, but I wasn't, like, set on, like, oh, my gosh, I have to buy a Gibson. That's the only guitar for me. So, I don't know. When I picked up my guitar, I was like, this is this is it, you know? So, talk about your your choice of instrument. How did that work out? I think probably originally, I've ever since I was a kid, I've loved Gretsch. I mean, they're to me, they are the Cadillac of guitars. They look so cool i mean i remember my dad was a a huge reverend horton heat fan and i've probably seen him more than anybody i've ever seen probably like 10 times and even so dad took me to the first one and i just like fell in love they said like the big huge body the bigsby tailpiece everything but it took me a while to because i'm left-handed you know so i would play pretty much anything i could find if I see a cool left-handed guitar, I'm going to buy it if I can possibly buy it. And I remember going into this guitar store in Knoxville, Tennessee, and they had a 6120 Orange Gretsch, which is to me is like the classic look. And it was left-handed. And I was like, man, how much is this? He told me the price. And I was like, well, I don't have that, <laughs> but I can give you. So I went to the bank and I took out all the money I had. Wow. And I came back and was like, I got this, man. And he's like, okay, left-handed. They're probably not going to sell it, you know, anytime soon. So that was it. And just most of my heroes, they play huge guitars. And I played like a lot of, even before I started playing country, I played the Gretsch for like straight ahead jazz. And so, you know, I'd see Wes Montgomery with a big arch top guitar. And I had one too, you know, but mine had a Bigsby, which is even cooler. So yours is a hollow body electric, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I couldn't tell from last night, uh, it had an autograph up on the pit guard or near the pit guard. Uh, who's, whose signature's on there? It's a Chet Atkins. Okay. So yeah. I, I couldn't tell if that was a, like out of the factory signature, if it's something you just had autographed Willie Nelson style. Like no, I wish, man. Okay. That would be awesome. It's, out of the, I, it's just uh, the signature model. Okay. His. 
Uh, I came across the song when I was researching for this, uh, The Road Home, which uh, the video that was really cool, it was filmed there just, what, 10 or 15 miles south of your home, right? And uh, when I was hearing that, I, I had another one of those weird moments, like I mentioned earlier, is right in the middle of hearing that song, for, something, for some reason, the vocals on that reminded me of uh, Dina Carter's Strawberry Wine. Oh, and then as I was researching, I found out, mm, yeah, she's covered that song too. <laughs> uh, but there, there, I don't know what it was, but the, there's something about the vocals on there that just reminded me of, of uh, Dina Carter. And, but uh, talk about the, the Road Home, though. That's, that seemed like a very kind of a personal song to you. Yeah, it's just about um, moving away, like moving to Nashville, and then just kind of, I don't know, coming back home and um, sort of remembering um, where you're from and where your roots are. Um, my papa always told me, um, what was the thing you used to always say? Uh, no matter where you go, always forget where you came from or get out of here, but just remember, yeah, you know, yeah, where you came it. from. So that's sort of where that second verse came from. And it's cool because the music video, um, we have a friend named Trey and he shot it. We hadn't seen him in a while. So, no. uh, anyway, this but, was before the young people. I mean, it's, it's on, but it was right before we changed into the young people's. We wrote this song. Yep. And uh, we went back to our hometown, and we filmed at my mama and papa's house. That's where that's the old man. The video is my papa. <laughs> and uh, we also filmed uh, where Wes grew up. His dad owned a convenience store. Yeah, in Tallahassee, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And uh, yeah, we filmed on the on the front porch of that. So. And the church is in there as well. Is that a church you guys had, had attended uh, uh, back in the day? Uh, Red Top, right? Is that what's in there? Is that where we were? Part of it, I think. Yeah, because okay. he's walking. Oh, that's. There. Oh, yeah. Hello. Oh, I hadn't watched that video in a minute. No, my. Uh, that's where all my papa's um, family's buried. Okay. So, yeah. That's kind of neat that you got influences from all your family and friends to write the songs. Who are some of your influences in the music industry from either current era or back in the day? You talked about this a little bit earlier, but who are some of. Uh, I mean, you guys covered uh, uh, Amy Louie Harris last night from 1978 or 77 or something like oh, that. Yeah. Who are who are some of the old older influences that you guys have have had? I love her and I love Patsy Cline, um, Loretta Lynn. That's just sort of kind of what I grew up listening to. Um, I don't know. I love all those people. Yeah. See, I was a late bloomer to country, even though I was born in Tennessee. You know it. It was funny because actually it took until I went to China when I started really listening to country music. Uh, and so I, tr I just was like, started at the beginning. So I listened to a lot of Jimmy Rogers and Hank Williams and people like that. But I always gravitate toward these, they're, I mean, they're guitar players who are also great singers, you know, like Glenn Campbell, Jerry Reed, Merle Travis, you know, those kind of people. So... Uh Reed and Travis were both finger pickers primarily, yeah. and you did primarily pick last night, right? Right. And so is there another playlist or set list that you would do where you do more finger picking style? Well, pretty much everything I do is, is uh, I guess you could call it Travis picking for lack of a better term, even though there's no thumb pick. So it's I hold the pick with my thumb and index, and I use my three other fingers to pick. Ah, okay. But it's strange because it's almost like um, a lot of thumb pickers will, when they start going super fast, they'll grasp the thumb pick like a real pick. And so that's sort of what I do. It's sort of like a mash between the two. I think that probably comes a lot from like George Benson or, or people like that who do some finger picking, but with the pick. 
I see. Awesome. Okay. And so Maryville is only about 10 or 15 or so miles west of where Dolly Parton was born. Uh, mm-hmm. Surely she's been an influence on some of your music as yes, well, right? Yes, of course. Yeah, she's kind of iconic, of course. She's, uh, we got amazing. to meet her. I've seen her, I think, at Grand Ole Opry and one other place years ago. Really? And just, just ridiculous, right? She's so good. And she's so she's still down so to, good. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, she's so down to earth and like she's everything that you'd imagine yeah. that she would be. Uh, any books about songwriting? Do you do you um, do, you, do you study any any of the um, previous songwriters and well, books? I don't and really reading? read a lot. I'm sorry. I hate. That. I'm just gonna just gonna put it out there. I'm not. Okay. A... I think I've bought a couple of books on songwriting, but I've never made it through. I've never like. Oh, read you should them, talk about think. the um the the book that Patrick gave us. Oh, that it's uh, Tom Jackson, but that's like a. It's called Live okay. Performance, okay. or whatever, and it's about building your live show. You know, I see more than just the music, but just how right. do you act on stage? How do you give the persona of an entertainer and all of that? Yeah, okay. which okay. I we got a lot from that. I didn't read book, it, but, um, but Wes gave me a summary of each chapter. So. But yeah, I feel like with anything, <laughs> I mean, with music, everything's there. You know, you can. And that's, it's funny when people talk about they don't like music nowadays or whatever. It's like all the music is still there. You can go and listen to every Robert Johnson song. You can listen to Jimmy Rogers. You can li- like go back and listen to anything that's ever been recorded, and that's a lot of music. So you can learn as much as you possibly can from those masters, you know. Yeah, when I, when I got thinking of that discussion point, one, one book, that, probably the only book that came to mind, was a book called Oh man, I think it's called The Toonsmith by Jimmy Webb. Oh, um, nice. and he, you know, he's he's uh, he was a performer in his own right, but but he's really well known for writing songs from crazy different genres you know, mm. all over the place. He's written stuff for everyone, but but I, I I'd wondered if you guys had, had done any of. I'll actually have to those. listen to that because I love Jimmy Webb. Yeah, it's uh, it's I think it's a pretty thick book. It's it's three or four hundred pages, but it it knowing his catalog of songs, it's probably crazy good details in there. It's, it's probably quite good. Uh, you, you mentioned about reading a book maybe about your stage persona, and that reminds me of last night you mentioned the story with your ties. That Wes, you usually wear a kind of an old-school tie. Yeah. And you talked about that being a Porter Wagner style, or, or the original one was Porter Wagner? Yeah, it was. It was in our music video completely. It was the first time I'd ever worn one of those. Okay. And, and the, the lady who was our stylist on that video, she had found or had borrowed one of Porter Wagner's old ties. And it was like pink with rhinestones. And I just like loved it. So yeah, Porter Wagner, certainly for his era, he was a big star. But I, I tried to imagine, uh, well, I don't know, pick a modern country star, anyone, and have them dress like Porter Wagner did. And <laughs> how quickly would they be laughed off the stage, right? It'd be hard to pull that off now. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it was amazing how well that worked then. It was all, a- those, all those old days, like Webb Pierce with their, their suits and stuff. I just love that. So I think I love, that's yeah. why I love the tie. It sort of harkens back without having to wear the jumpsuit, you know. <laughs> you mentioned the video completely. You filmed in, in Nashville just a couple blocks from the Ryman uh, there at the Gorin's Hat Shop. And uh, why there? Why at the Hat Shop? What was the story you're trying to tell there with the two characters in that, in that video? Ooh. That's a good one. Most of the people don't talk about the Hat Shop part of the video. Yeah. Um, we wanted, oh, the, you could talk about the actual hat was... Patrick's grandfather. Yeah, there was a hat. name inside that hat, yeah. right? There was a name written inside there. It was, but it was my. Did we put? I think we put my papa. Yeah, your name. papa's names in the hat. Yeah, I don't so, remember what the name was, but it was they, the camera 
kind of zoomed into yeah. that name it a little bit. It was Patrick's grandfather's hat, but Patrick actually wrote my papa's name in the hat okay. just because the Young Fables, he wanted to like put a little, he calls them Easter eggs. Uh, um, he puts them in like all of our stuff. But uh, yeah, he wanted to sort of touch on like the Young Fables and whatever. So Yeah, the, the, you mentioned Easter egg and I, I got a chuckle out of that video. This is not the, the performance, not the song. The song was great. <laughs> But uh, in the background, about halfway through the song, over your right shoulder, as you're walking through, down the street, there's a dude that pulls out a cigarette and does a magic trick right over your shoulder. What yeah. is up with that? <laughs> that was just, that, I mean, he was on the street Nothing that night. was planned, but what you didn't see was him flipping off the camera. On the uh, third take. On the third take, oh. because we oh. were taking up his space in, yeah. the, in the side. But I, I just got a kick out of this. I, I, I wondered, <laughs> is that planned or not planned? And you told no. us last night that it wasn't. So tell that story like you mentioned last night of how that video came to be. It was... It was crazy because Patrick had the idea for us walking down Broadway, and that way we could gather a lot of people together without having to spend a lot of money <laughs> and, um, you know, just have like a big crowd. And, and whatever happened, it would be like a, we planned it. And so we had Laurel on one side of the street, and she would walk down, and we had the camera backing up, and everyone who was not like me and the, I think there was two or three other people would stand in front of the cameraman to make sure no one hit him, you know, so that we could get a continuous shot going backwards. And so we were like pushing people out of the way. And at first it was fine because, you know, not a lot of people were there, not a lot were hammered yet. And so we would do, I was on one side of the street and Laurel was on the other and we would do that. So about the third time we figured out that was the last time we could do it because you know, we had gone through enough times people were getting mad and, like, mm -hmm. flipping off the camera. And we were, I mean, we had no permits. We weren't trying to do anything. So I can understand why they were getting mad. Yeah, that was <laughs> it was kind of really well done. And as I was watching, I was trying to decide, planned or not planned? I couldn't tell. And I got thinking, man, the guy doing the cigarette trick, there's no way that's just spontaneous. But I guess it just was. It, it was. It and, really was. And when we saw that, dude, like, we looked back at the footage we saw him while we were doing it, but I wasn't paying attention. I was trying to make sure that no one was hitting the camera. Um, it was like, man, how could we have even gotten that? It was awesome. All right, so here's where you get a choice. Do we want to put in a clip here of uh, Completely or the song Two? What do you Your think? choice. Yeah. We'll All right, let's, uh, let's, do, uh, let's do Two. And so we'll play Two right now. Truck will take us where we need to go. 
Generations we pass, but no money for gas. I'd be okay with running out on the side of the road. How can we? The video of Two is kind of a fun little thing, and the cool thing about that, not only is it a good song, of course, but uh, Wes, you had some fun right at the very end of that, of thinking some more possibilities for the term Two. <laughs> Talk a, bit, a little bit about that video, and uh, you had some fun with that. It was kind of a neat, yeah. neat video. That was our first, like, well, not our first video we've ever done, because we did. Our first know, video with Patrick. Yeah, and it was our first, like, actual Young Fables video, music video, you know. Um, and so our idea was to make it funny because we're not actors. And we were like, okay. And well. because we didn't have any money. Yeah. And, and in <laughs> our order to budget make it, was really low. And Patrick's like, if we make it like a fun video, it will turn out better. And so so like, I, at the oh. end of that thing, you know, I'm going nuts and I'm like falling on the floor and playing guitar <laughs> and all this stuff. And then you get to the very end where, uh, it's so much better with two and me and Laurel are sitting on the couch and then another Laurel comes into the frame and I'm like, oh yeah, two. You know what's yeah, really hilarious about that? More than one <laughs> oh, yeah. person was like, who's that hot chick at the end? And I'm like, dude, that was me with like a lot of makeup and a tight dress. Yeah, so so thanks a lot. Recognize it's that it's Laurel. <laughs> so they did a little camera work to get you both on screen at the same time. <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of um, kind of a funny ending there, where it's like, ah, oh, maybe this too could be something else. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, let's go from uh, f- funny and entertaining to maybe a bit more uh, stoic and serious with your upcoming documentary. Yeah. So Talk a bit about that in the background there. We started this thing like three years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, our manager, Patrick, came into our loft where we live in downtown Nashville, and we had a song write that day with our friend Dean Fields, and he was like, I'm going to record you guys writing a song. Uh, people are always asking, how does the songwriting process work for us? And Patrick's like, let's just make a 10-minute documentary of your version of the songwriting process, and I will call it The Fable of a Song. And we were going to release it the following Father's Day, of so which would have been Father's Day 2018, but 
my sister passed away January 5th, and she was a huge daddy's girl. And the song that we wrote that day was about my dad. And, you know, I just didn't feel like it was the right time to sort of release that yet. And so we waited, and she was the only sibling that I had. And it was just hard times for not just me, my whole family, Wes, everybody. And um, then it was September 12th. My mom called me. I was asleep in Nashville that morning, and she said my dad, he passed away of a massive heart attack. So I lost my sister and my dad eight months apart um, last year, and it was hard, and it's still hard. But um, through that whole time, Patrick would, like, come back home to my parents' house and, and film them, and my dad really opened up about a lot of things that I didn't think that he would in front of a camera and uh, we have all this incredible footage, and Patrick and Wes came to me and asked me um, if I wanted to continue the fable of a song since it hadn't been released, and it was about so much more than just the songwriting process at, at this point. It was about how songs can change over time and how the meaning can change, and um, so I said, yeah, because I don't think that was a coincidence, um, any of it. So uh, the trailer's out, thefableofasong.com. And we're going to release the full-length documentary, longer than 10 minutes, probably like an hour or something. Um, I think it's be 80 minutes. 80 minutes, right? yeah. How will that be released? How will people be able to see that? We don't know. We're working on it right now. Yeah. So. Is there a chance for actual theatrical release? Probably maybe a limited one is okay. what we're thinking of. Or, and a, also a streaming, hopefully, okay. service. Cool. And, and when do you think that might become available? We're hoping by the end of this year. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah. The, yeah. the fable of a song. We we feel like it's been in the works for so long that we're like, why well, rush it now? You know. Yeah, we want to make it. <laughs> we want it we to be right. We want to make it perfect. You know. Give a shout out to your social media. How do people find out about you and uh, and learn more and hear all the cool music I heard last night? How do they do that? You can find everything at theyoungfables.com. Um, every thousand followers that we get on Instagram. Wes buys me a coffee, but every 10,000 followers, Wes buys me a steak. So I'm trying to get that 10K, <laughs> you know, so go follow us on Instagram at the Young Fables Official. All right. <laughs> and you're on Facebook, uh, any of the other Twitter yep. or anything yeah. else? Everything. It's all just okay. the Young Fables, right? Very I'm just good. trying to plug that Instagram so I can get a steak. So. I know. Totally, totally good. <laughs> One more thing before we go. On the video two, you chugged a glass of milk. How many takes did you have to do on the milk chugging? One. <laughs> One. Yeah. I was thinking, man, if you had to do like 12 takes of that, it's like, no. 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 Not, not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Well, cool. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, again, the, the show last night was amazing. I'm, I'm glad we uh, met up today to do this. And, uh, Thank yeah, you so much yeah, for, thanks having for having us on. Such amazing music. The Young Fables. Theyoungfables.com. Thanks, uh, Wes and Laurel. And thanks for listening to the Luminovation Podcast. I'm Jim Fox, and thank you for listening to the Luminovation Podcast, where we shine a light on innovation, creativity, entrepreneurship, and the creative people who make our world a better and more interesting place to live. <laughs>